This is the first Sunday after Christmas. The themes remain the same as they were on Christmas, and I'm going to preach about the four affirmations, but the difference is today we read from the Gospel of John, the introduction known as the Johannine Prologue, one of the most important and I think beautiful passages in the New Testament, and it should help us understand uh, ways of appropriating the season of Christmas. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I talked about uh, some of the difficulties in our own time we have uh, with some of these stories and the, the fact that we live in an age of radical skepticism about just about everything. I told you about a book I really recommend by Stephen Prothero called Religious Literacy. Stephen Prothero teaches religion at Boston College, and he got so tired of the ignorance of his students with regard to religion generally, not Christianity, but all kinds, who was Buddha, you know? Nobody knows. So he wrote a book that you can look it up and find out something about who Buddha was or find out about the, what gospel means or any of a number of things which are, are extremely important. So we observed that the United States is, is not, if not the most religious country in the world, it is one of the most religious countries in the world. And yet people know virtually nothing about the religions that they are part of. So, 10% of the population uh, that, that responded to surveys that have been done by, you know, all kinds of polling groups and everything, 10% say Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> 40% of the population in the United States believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. Forty percent believe what is the most frequently quoted passage in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Franklin, uh, Benjamin Franklin said, God helps those who help themselves. The most popular, most quoted passage in the Bible among people who are religiously literate is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son to the end that all believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 So we have a, a lot to do, and therefore it makes people uh, susceptible to uh, a lot of claims that themselves need to have uh, some uh, work done about what they mean in depth. Here are the four affirmations. During Christmas, we affirm the goodness of our humanity. In the book of Genesis, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And the goodness of our humanity is the default position that Christian people begin from. And it's what animates a lot of the things that we believe and do in the world. I mentioned uh, in uh, Canada, in North Vancouver, 
where I go a lot. There is a, a uh, First Americans, are what they're called in Canada, a, a, a tribe of Indians uh, in North Vancouver called the Salish Band. And the chief of the Salish Band is a, a man named Leonard George. His father was Chief Dan George, who was in a couple of movies, you know, the outlaws of Josie Wales and all that sort of thing. And his son is now the chief. And he teaches all over. And he, he's just been down here in September uh, at Santa Clara University and gave some, some talks. He does a lot of work with the young people of the Salish Band. And he says that as he works with the troubled youth, that uh, he hopes his wish for them is that when they get up in the morning and look in the mirror, they love, honor, and celebrate what they see. I think that's something we all ought to be able to do, don't you? And it's a way of affirming uh, the goodness of our humanity, that God knows you by name and loves you, forgives you, and accepts you unconditionally. So we affirm the goodness of our humanity. We also affirm that we can achieve the highest of our human potential. And this is where we need to understand uh, a, a certain amount of internal and external work that we need to do. In other words, personal, and the other piece is relational, so that we understand that. So we need to speak in religious terms and institutional terms first, and to say that within the body, we need to have some kind of internal disarmament. And that means that uh, we have polarized ourselves to a point that makes absolutely no sense. Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, says, we are all fundamentalists. Whether you find yourself on the conservative side or the liberal side. And so the issue is, how do we uh, achieve some species of internal disarmament about these issues that seem to divide us? Or get huffy about things that we simply uh, uh, have great difficulty with? Uh, Jones says uh, that um, he, he, he believes in the, in the virgin birth. And he said, you know, I don't care whether people believe it or have difficulty with it or what, but he said, you know what, I don't want to lose all those pictures. I don't want to lose all that Renaissance art with the Blessed Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus. Because every time you see a woman with a child... It shows you the way the world ought to be. And so maybe that's pointing to something beyond uh, itself. He also says that because we live in an age where we have now the uh, triumph of science, the vocabulary of fact is what is the governing principle behind how we understand uh, discourse of all kinds. That actually comes from the, the 1200s 
with a guy named William of Ockham, who created a form of theology called nominalism, which allowed us to be able to explain things by operating on the basis that a word means one thing. Now, what got chucked by that was uh, all of the stuff that we understand that is imagination, that is narrative, that is the understanding of reality's flip side. It is what has also permitted school districts all over the United States for many years now to get rid of music programs, art classes, and all of the other things that are part of that other side because they're believed not to be important or that you, don't, you can't get a job if you study that stuff. You have to, you know. I wonder how many political science majors there are around now. I don't know. Probably some. But, uh, you know, learning things uh, on both sides is an important thing to do when we think about that. I believe all that's necessary because we need to get to the place where we affirm that we were made for a purpose, that we are called to respond to being made in God's image, and that we accomplish God's work by modeling what it means to be the best human being we can be. And this is worked out in the ordinary, commonplace activities of our lives where we are able to bring serenity, clarity, integrity, and generosity to all things that we do in relationship and also uh, to ourselves. You know, inner disarmament also has something to do, not just institutionally, it has to do emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Paul says in, in one place, he said, I find that I am at war in my members. The thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do, I do. So somehow we need to, to achieve the highest of our potentiality uh, to rid ourselves of that, that conflict and to be able to keep uh, under control the committee that lives rent-free in our head. It's important. Father Thomas Keating would say, apropos of that, that we understand through this process the humdrum duties and events of daily life become sacramental and shot through with eternal implications. In the Christian faith in life, joy is not some form of giddy hilarity. I have always referred to Snoopy when I talk about this, uh, as, you know, like this in his dance, joy, right? Joy in the Christian spiritual life is the sure and steady confidence that the conundrums, uncertainties, and ambiguities of life will and can come into surer and clearer focus for us. That as we live lives of intentions, we become less confused. And I think all of us would want to be less confused and it certainly makes us better human beings and more available for others when we are not distracted. So it's possible to be joyful. And the final affirmation is that we are to be people of peace. If there's any, any group in the world that needs to be people of peace, it's Christian people. We have a poor track record over time in some ways. But every year we have peace on earth. We talk about peace and so forth. Jesus would have used the word shalom in Hebrew. 
which is a very important word. It's not, it doesn't mean just peace. It can mean completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. So now we move to the Johannine prologue and see maybe if the shalom of God is present in what we call the word of God, Jesus. About 30 years ago now, Dr. William Countryman, who taught New Testament at the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, wrote a little book called The Mystical Way in the Fourth Gospel in which he advanced the view that the Gospel of John was a sustained literary whole focused on mystical union with the person of Jesus. And this is how he defines this. I take it, mystical union, to describe an experience of things, of persons outside myself as direct and unmediated as my experience of myself is. At one level, this may be an experience of the order of the cosmos and my, of my place in it, in which case it is called mystical enlightenment. At another level, it may be an experience of full knowledge of another specific being, in which case it is called mystical union. Union may be understood as implying a complete dissolution of the human who enters into it or may appear as the complete opening of two realities into one another. The latter interpretation is the more common within Christianity. In practice, it may not always be possible to distinguish enlightenment sharply from union, but I believe that John treats the former as a prelude to the latter, and you'll notice that when you read John's Gospel and you read the Collects for Christmas in the liturgy, they're all about light, the light of God, shining on and illumining our hearts, illumining the dark places in our character, illumining all of our talents and abilities in such a way that they can be used uh, to fulfill God's purpose in the cosmos. So in the, in the Johannine prologue today, uh, Jesus is described as the Word. In Greek, the logos. So logos can mean word. It can mean saying. It can mean speech. It can mean reason. It can mean plan. It can mean the organizing principle. It can mean wisdom. My favorite one is organizing principle. The way we understand this. You know, I'm thinking of this. It just came into my head now. Part of the spiritual life and the moving towards maturity has to do with learning to distinguish between principles and practices. Or rather, principles and preferences. Right? I mean, I've often been capable of making declarative statements about what is good and true based on my preferences. Right? 
and the inability to distinguish between principles and preferences. The priest I began my ministry with for nearly 40 years ago now uh, said, uh, Verdi is the best writer of operas there is. And he would not be shifted on the subject, right? Had a great confusion between preferences, principles and preferences. Didn't get it a lot of times. And we have difficulty. So in the prologue to John's Gospel, we have a description of Jesus as the one now who becomes the template that we lay over our own spiritual progress. He is the one that has shown the way the Johannine community believed that if God were a human being, this would be what he would be like, walking around. And more to the point, it wouldn't be just somebody we've seen. There was when by the time of the writing of John's Gospel, there was a, a heresy in Christianity um, that had to do with understanding uh, docetism. I believe it was called. It was Jesus as a Surat painting, you know, pointillism. You could put your hand through him. He wasn't really a human being. He was sort of a wraith that we saw and it was rejected because we understood that he was and so did his followers a flesh and blood human being who gave us tools that we can use and so the prologue gives us an introduction now to how Jesus in his discourses in John's gospel and his works are going to be demonstrative of how we do that when we follow him now, here's some 39.95 inside baseball biblical scholarship that you can either keep and tell your friends about or not. Amaze your friends. The original gospel was put together from two sources. One is called the sayings source, where Jesus speaks and gives these long discourses and speeches in John's gospel. And also the signs source which are the mighty works that he does, the healings, and the other things that people witness him, him doing. And it's a way that we understand when this is put together. Uh, scholars have been able to reconstruct those two things and to show how they, how they interlock with one another, uh, predate the writing, the final writing of the gospel. Lots of biblical scholars, by the way, have wanted to rewrite John's gospel and reposition various parts of it. And uh, Raymond Brown, the great biblical scholar of the 20th century in America, one of them said, there is no reason to assume that we should re have received the gospel in any other form than we have it. So when you do that kind of scholarship, it gives you an understanding of how, how it was put together and how it interlocks. So this week, think about uh, how you can uh, reflect back to the world the four affirmations, the goodness of your humanity, the highest of your human potential, being joyful in the world. Anybody who spent any time in the helping professions uh, has listened to people whose stories will make your hair stand on end. So the great question is, how have they been, remained joyful? And it's surprising how many have. And what is it that we can learn from that great and powerful truth? 
Know also that God's illuminative processes are at work in you. The light of Christ, which we celebrate on Easter, is present to us uh, in the person of Jesus and in the light that has been re released as the result of his, his birth, his be God becoming a human being. And as I mentioned, that is probably the greatest present we receive on Christmas. Amen.